On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talked to the old pro, Mike Harmon. Mike is someone who played the PGA Tour in the late 70s and early 80s uh, briefly, but has spent uh, the bulk of his career in golf on the club pro side of the game, most notably um, as director of golf for many years at the Secession Golf Club in South Carolina. Um, Mike um, talks about his experience as a club pro, um, and we talk a little bit about the recent Golf Digest article on that topic, which has gotten a lot of attention. We talk a little bit about um, his time on the PGA Tour and some of the changes he witnessed um, during his time on the tour, and also the many, many trips he's taken to the U.K., um, and he's really played all the great courses there as well and what those are like um, compared to playing in the U.S. Um, so uh, a fun conversation. Um, this one went, I think, about 75 minutes and we could have kept going. Um, he's a lot of fun to talk to, as I uh, hope you'll get a sense from listening to this. Um, so up next uh, on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Mike Harmon. Welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, and I am so honored today and happy to have with us uh, the old pro, Mike Harmon, um, who has um, kind of done it all and seen it all in golf, um, you know, both on the playing side, played on the tour for a little bit um, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, um, had a tremendous uh, uh, career as a club professional, um at the succession golf club in south carolina and we'll talk all about that as won national awards for the pga we'll talk about that and talk about a little bit of the state of the game and state of the club pro business mike thank you so much for making time today for us really appreciate it oh wonderful to be here larry thank you i get always get a chuckle about the old pro in the old days it used to be o-l-e now it's o-l-d <laughs> exactly exactly so um let's maybe just get the ball rolling and kind of go back a little bit to the beginning to give uh people who may not already know you a little bit of context so um i think born in atlanta um and maybe talk a little bit about how you got started in the game how old you were when you got started and how how you first started developing the love of golf that i know you have Sure. Um, I was um, very fortunate to, to grow up in a major city. That was um, it, that was an education unto itself. Uh, in the South, Atlanta had everything uh, at that time, and uh, I was always very uh, pleased to have had that in my background. Um, my grandfather played the game, but I was a baseball player. We talked about this last week. Uh, right, I, right. I, I had to choose uh, between golf and baseball. And um, I started golf very late, uh, 15, uh, which is um, incredibly late to be thinking about a scholarship. But I took to the game quickly. Uh, I was a complete uh, uh, idiot about anything about the game other than just an athlete going from point A to point B. I didn't know the rules. I didn't. I mean, if I hit it behind a tree, I pulled it behind, out from behind the tree. I was <laughs> an imbecile when it came to that. Uh, you know, but I got, and I went to a junior college in Atlanta to to move things along, but still was 
just really beginning to lose to learn the game. And the reason I did that, uh, aside from baseball, is my father. He said, uh, "He said, Mike. He said, if you're lucky, you can play baseball till you're 30. So you can play competitive golf the rest of your life." And that right. really resonated with me, and that got me on the trail of uh, uh, the golf. I dropped the. I still played baseball till through my junior year. Played a lot of American Legion ball. I was a good glove. I was a good stick, not a power, but I was slow and had a poor, you know, an average arm. So here, you know, I was <laughs> destined to be maybe four years of college, and that was it. Um, the um, I, I moved along uh, in the in the ranks um, as an amateur, but did not win anything really. I did win the state public links. That was one of the things I always enjoyed. I grew up on a public links. I didn't grow up on around a, a club. And at that particular time, you were segregated. You you played right. in either the the public links or the state amateur, uh, or you played in the national public links or the U.S. amateur. Right. And I won the state public links. Um, I guess this was probably, oh, let me think, when was that? 75, 76, I think it was. And um, uh, um, Eastlake, uh, which was on my side of town in Atlanta, gave me a membership as a junior. And um, that allowed me to play in some bigger events, Southeastern, U.S. Amateur Qualifying, and, and moved along. And I began to learn the game a bit at that juncture, but um, was still an idiot at that juncture, at that point still. I signed with Middle Tennessee, a full scholarship, took a full scholarship as opposed to others because we needed it. Right. Um, I loved my time in Murfreesboro. I uh, was a history international relations education guy and uh, i mean um 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 english uh, minor and um still today read nonfiction history just adore history and ultimately that began to play into this wonderful game because there's just so much history when you go to a club that's been around since the late 1800s and stuff so i was drawn to that almost immediately once i I did find that huge love for the game. Um, graduated in 78, got my tour card in 80 at Pinehurst. Wow. At, um, uh, and, and on my second try. So, so I let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about game. that a little bit because people, just to give people context, you and I are not that dissimilar in age, but some people are younger who may be listening to this. So this is, you know, back in the days of the Q school where you could go direct and actually they're talking about doing this again now, but, but you could go directly from Q school. You didn't have to go to corn Ferry or what by then was, I don't know if it was buy.com or good tour. It's gone through so many darn um, names, but you, you could sort of actually get a card at the Q school and go right on the tour, right? Correct. Two schools a year, 25 spots at each school, qualifying two qualifyings before you got to the finals. And, um, uh, I, um, uh, uh, you, you know, there was, there was ties got in. I, I remember that I qualified in Atlanta for the U S open at Baltus Roll the day before this final started and took a small plane from Atlanta to Pinehurst. Wow. I'm in a playoff and, uh, there's like 23 guys for 22 spots. It was the number, but somebody was going to get left out. Thank God it wasn't <laughs> me. I, I probably jumped off a bridge somewhere because uh, it was the only qualify ultimately qual uh, open I ever qualified for. So I go to the next next day, fly that, that night to Pinehurst. I birdie the first two holes and then shoot. I think I played the next seven nine over. 
Oh my! My head was already at Baltusrol. My I was yeah. at, I was at Baltusrol. My wife was with me. Uh, Linda and I never forgot. I tell the story a lot. She came up to me after nine holes and goes, "What the hell is the matter with you?" <laughs> she, she said, "Get your mind off of off of Baltusrol, where we're going to be next week, and get back here in the finals of the tour." School. She said, "I'm going to wrap a." She said something like, "I'm going to wrap a seven iron around your head or something." <laughs> I went on to play it was only four days then it changed in um it changed in 83 to the exempt tour and went to 50 cards at the finals in at tpc i actually got to play in one of those and um um so i went on to and and made it uh i posted a number i think i shot 10 over this is at pinehurst number six okay which was brand new and just a butt kicker this one was it was a really hard golf course even par won it 10 over got the card i shoot 10 over and i was so far back i actually started on the 10th tee. i finished on nine and um uh i remember i i zipped some five iron in there about 20 feet and gave it a pretty good run because i didn't know it's not like today where you've got instant information i need right. i didn't know for sure that i might get in but i took a good run at it ran about three feet by and i'll never forget i don't remember who it was I didn't want to wait for everybody to finish out. Everybody in my group had already missed it. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm going to stand right on this guy's line. And I said, bud, I don't remember who it was. I said, I, like, I don't want to wait around for you to finish. I need this putt. If you don't mind, I'm going to step all over your line. <laughs> uh, he was a good, he was a good guy about it. And I made it. I go to the board and now I just have to sit because all ties get in. And I got in on the number, sat around just drinking beers. The rest of the wow. afternoon with some of my buds and same same spot and and got in and of course that gives you now only the right to qualify on Monday. That's not in anything and um, it was melting down. That system was really in bad shape by the early '80s and they they eventually changed it to the exempt tour in '83. You'd have you might have uh, six spots with 120 people going for them. Right. You, know, you just couldn't hardly get in and so my time there was short lived. And uh, soon I was back in the school at the, the exempt tour in 82, end of 82. Uh, that was the first exempt run and uh, missed it by three shots over six days and um, missed it. Uh, never got close. Went back to the tour school again the following year. Didn't get it. Went to the European tour school as well. Didn't get it. And so by um, um, 85, I was at a crossroads. You know, I had to make a decision. I was working at Palmetto Dunes at the time as a uh, an assistant, but still had plenty of time to play uh, what I you know what I needed to play. And I was just out. I, I, I always joke. I literally went from courtesy cars and uh, all the trappings of the tour to taking quarter tips from Mrs. Jones loading up her bag. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the big boys aren't going to really like that too much. But I tell you what, Larry, that. I loved it. I could tell that I was wired for the business just from that alone. You know, there's no ego. I just wanted to be around the game. Yeah. And I think that's where the great club pros of my era and before came from. Uh, it's different now. We've talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is different now. Um, and that's sad uh, to some degree, inevitable, perhaps. Uh, 
but I went into the business at Hilton Head, which was not a, a bad place to live. By no, any that's for I sure. I enjoyed my time there. And then uh, it, um, you know, the professional, the, the club professional career cranked from there. Yeah. So that was so right. So you've covered that transition. Um, and yeah, I'm just sitting here listening to you. I think of, and there's so many luminaries for club pros, the Bob Fords of the Oakmonts of the world. And I mean, there were just, there right. were, there was a lot of real um, special folks who were club pros at that time. And it, it was a, a different time. So you're, you're at Hill. So you've, so you've kind of gone through um, your experience in the PGA tour, um, gone through playing at the U S open uh, before we leave that time, I just I, any special particular memories or things stick out. I know you weren't there. You know, that wasn't where the bulk of your career was. And we're going to get into the club pro stuff. But anything in particular stick out from your time at tour? Yes. And I and I think we even discussed it on one of our earlier talks. I was there during two significant changes. The changes we've already discussed of uh, the Monday qualifying system to right. uh, the exempt system, which really ushered in a rookie's ability to play well. Yeah. When when you give a an All American uh, who's a U.S. Amateur champion and he's played at Augusta and he's 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 seasoned, but he's still a rookie. You put him on equal footing with the other 125. He's going to do really well. Right. As opposed to the money qualifying system, which would weed out guys very quickly. So right then you began to see guys doing really well early on. And that's only continued now as the corn fairy preps those guys so well for yeah. uh, immediate success. I mean, they're not afraid that corn fairy. You got to shoot 25, 30 under every week and that you don't flip that switch just because you get on the tour. Uh, so that was really a significant change, a real sea change. But also, I saw wood to metal at the same oh, time. Oh, great equipment change. Right, I, absolutely. I, I spent my entire playing career playing wood. Yeah. I did not play metal until I was in the club pro business. Uh, yeah. I can remember the first one I ever saw was playing in the old BC uh, Open at the um, – um oh what was the uh, uh, binghamton new york yeah, or endicott new york and, or something um, up there yeah i know I, what you mean endicott right yeah. right right and uh i saw jeff sluman with one i'll never forget that i'll never forget that um uh and, and that would have been 80 81 somewhere in there uh right. it was an old i think it was um a tailor rate uh, yeah. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember who came out with it first, but yeah, the, I remember that. I remember those two issues because they were really significant changes sure. in the game, both at the tour level and at the playing level. Uh, from the professional standpoint, uh, the, I, I uh, it, it's you're a rock star when you're on the tour. There's no doubt about it, and you enjoy that life, and it's easy to get uh, kind of sucked into that life. I'm not. A, a, a partier by any means. I was married at that time, and uh, Linda and I traveled the tour together. But I, it was, uh, it was wonderful having had that opportunity. I, I equate that to the, the the baseball guy who plays the minor leagues and never gets to the show. Yeah, I got to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And it took, you know, so many guys don't, and and you, they'll be sixty year old watching the freaking TV on Sunday. 
still <laughs> upset that they didn't get there. Uh, that sword was taken out of my hand with that, uh, just getting through that tour school and, and forever uh, now uh, pronounced as former PGA Tour player. I mean, I, it didn't matter if I was out there two years or 20. didn't yeah. matter. Um, and it meant the world to me. It almost, it almost um, made me, I, I, I lack the confidence that most guys do at that level and, and, um, or that's required. And it gave me a certain confidence going into the next level of business, which Interesting. Uh, was yeah. the club pro life where I stayed for 40, 40 years or so. And um, no one, and, and it certainly opened for one of the issues today is a lot of uh, clubs will call me and ask me about, um, you know, we've got this guy and this guy. What do you think? I may know somebody on the committee or something and right. always pick the good player. Pick the good player. I, I just there's instant respect when the club pro goes out and shoots 68. Yeah. If if the head pro goes out and shoots 85, well he may be a nice he may be a nice guy. He could be the greatest guy in the world. But if if he can't break 80, how is there any measure of respect there for his golfing ability? I always said if I met a tennis pro at a cocktail party, I would assume the tennis I could that guy would beat me at tennis. Right. Right. How are you going to take a lesson from somebody that, that can't beat you? Okay, totally. so uh, the playing element was very, very big. You mentioned 40. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a world-class professional who had a world-class game as well. Yeah, he did, and he played, in, he played in major tournaments. Yeah, exactly. Played in majors, you know. Yeah. I remember I qualified for Harbortown at 50 years old. Right, I remember uh, that, in yeah, a, in a, that. In a, in a, in a two-spotter, you know. Well, heavens, I hadn't played a tournament in a decade, probably. And I'm out there now, um, just schlepping it around. I'm a, I'm a rock solid four handicapper on tour. I can tell you that. <laughs> rock solid 76. <laughs> as oh, a club gosh. pro. As a club pro. But I, I went that. overseas and qualified for uh, the British uh, senior at Carnoustie. Wow. Um, I didn't make the cut. But that resonates at a club. You oh, know, for sure. If your club sure. pro goes out and wins state open, that's a big deal. Totally. And somehow we've gotten away from that. We have. Um, and I, uh, and that's and to me, that's a shame. But those were th there were so many memories there, and I'm just it's just a rich, rich part of my life that I'll uh, I'm just so thankful for. I, I I have no doubt. So so that's great, and I. And I love that you played at Baltus Raw. I mean, you know, of course, you know, people remember, you know, Jack and Weis Nicholas and Weisskopf both shoot 63 in the opening round, right? At that U.S. Open. Yep, and then Weisskopf goes south, it. you know, has three rounds in the mid-70s. And, of course, Jack battles Ioki right down to the last hole. And, and you know, after yep. Jack, for his stake, you know, having such a poor 79 season, wins wins there, wins at Oak Hill. So lots of great memories from that um, as well, I'm sure. Well, that was a big tournament for Nicholas. That kept him in it. Totally. You know, he was a, not on the back. He was sort of on the backside, but not yeah. completely. Yeah. And to, to notch another um, open was huge for him at that huge. time. And yeah. It was the first time I ever saw him. He was so much smaller than I thought he would be. I mean, he looked like a daggum titan on tv you know <laughs> the blonde hair the the right, you just right. barrel chested look i mean and, and i was on the putting green and all of a sudden i heard this voice that was just so much higher than everybody 
And I look over, there was, that was on the part of the putting room. There was nobody. And all of a sudden there's a thousand people around me and there's Nicholas with that voice. I said, Holy I, you know, God, it is, it is so, it's so funny to hear you imitate Jack's voice. I'll tell you what. So we just, just really quick. You know, I just have to say we had a um, SCGA event out here and Craig Stadler was our speaker. We always have an annual term for the junior foundation and Craig yeah. played with him when Craig won the U S amateur um, and I think they pair, you know, pair with the defending champion. It must have been like early yeah. And and so yeah. and, and you know, Craig is talking about how nervous he was and everything. And Craig says he goes up to the first tee to introduce him. And Craig imitated his voice. And Craig says Jack took to him and said, I know who you are. <laughs> so it's so funny. You said it exactly the same pitch you just said it. So that but it was only like a few weeks ago that Craig told that story. So that's funny. Anyway. Uh, you got love. <laughs> that's great. So so you Well, so you know, you don't need to worry about time, Larry. You, you don't need to worry about time. You know we're gonna be three hours. You know? I but there, it's and it's great and it's great stuff. And and um yeah, that was an amazing tournament. I I've I've watched that so many times with you know and I remember watching it live when they all you know, they storm the 18th hole, and, you know, and Jack knocks that putt in on the 17th, his two-shot lead. And I, I will always remember this. Yep. Ioki has that wedge into the last hole. Jack's right in front of the green. You know, Baltusrol famously ends with two par fives in a row. And I swear, yep. Ioki's ball, I mean, I could re- basically, there's no way Jack's going to make worse than five from where he is. So Ioki basically needs to hold it, right? And I swear, if you go back and watch that, that wedge <laughs> did not miss, you know, the cup by very much. And of course, you know, uh, uh, later you probably remember when he won the Hawaiian Open and beat old Jack Renner by draining a wedge on the yep. 18th at Walla. Yep. So, I mean, you know, Ioki yep. was amazing that way. How about week, those right? hands? Oh, those hands, those hands. hands were phenomenal. Here's here's a quick one. I gotta get. I yeah, gotta tell yeah. them. Bobby Ross is a pro at Baltusrol, and he qualified for that Open. So we always joke. We shot the exact same score, seventy six. What I said earlier. I'm a four. I'm a four <laughs> handicapper. He shoot. We shoot a pair of seventy sixes each. Okay. He's telling the story now. This is before the USGA took the pro shop. I think forty may have had it at Oakmont. A couple of years later, yeah, it, it, yeah. it changed right in that window. So Ross is finishing on the backside. Coming up, there's, there's you know, the, the, the whole membership, the whole city turns out to watch Ross come in, even though he's missing the cut. Sure. So around the 15th hole, the, the, the tour player playing with him, and Rossi told me this story. This is just absolutely I love stories. So he, he he's walking up 15. And the tour, the old tour pro, and I don't know who it was. I should ask Bobby that. Says walks. It notices Rossi is um, got this giant grin on his face, and he sees it on fifteen. He sees it on sixteen. He's coming up the hill on seventeen. There's thousands. Yeah, Rossi, Rossi, yeah, just roaring down eighteen. Same thing up to eighteen, the fairway, and these Rossi's looking up there, and there's tens of thousands of people up there. Wow. And he's got this giant smile on his face. And the club pro, the, the tour pro just can't hack it anymore. He walks over to him about 100 yards out from the green. He says, Rossi, I got to tell you, you have to be the happiest son of a bitch I have ever met who's about to miss a cut. What's going on? <laughs> and Rossi looks up on that hillside, got these glazed eyes and says, Look at all those hats and visors. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
That's great. He had the pro shop. He made a million or two or whatever that I'm week. I'm sure. That's Freaking awesome. A couple of million. Uh, he's just, uh, and there's another, you know, there's another world-class player yep. as a club pro. Yeah. But one of the very best you'll ever see, uh, unequivocally. He's the one that told me never, never drive a, a nice car. That's interesting. Really? That's interesting. Well, pros cannot drive a nice car. We'll get into that later. We'll get into okay. that. Okay. Right, we'll talk on. about that. So, well, well, we definitely will. So we, so we pivot. So that's your playing career. You, you said, and, and although you can still play as a, you know, as you know, later on in terms of qualifying for the heritage and stuff, but you're, you're focusing now on being a club pro Palmetto dunes, and then the succession golf club comes along. So I want to spend a little time and talk about that. Cause that's where, of course you spent, the bulk of your career, um, 30 plus years, um, maybe talk about how you first became involved with the club, because I think it's certainly fair to say that although you, you know, you ultimately became director of golf, but you had a way broader role than just, not that that's not an important role, but way broader role than just director of golf. So maybe talk about how you became involved in the club, what the club is like for folks who aren't familiar with it. Well, my dear, dear friend, um, uh, PGA Master Professional Tim Moss was the Carolina section president, um, uh, just a legend in that low country area. He was at Sea Pines forever. He was the direct, eventually moved to the um, Moss Creek Club just off the island, which was easily one of the finest clubs in the 80s and 90s at that point. Uh, exquisite conditioning, just a stellar 36-hole facility. Had a... Um, um, uh, a tooth of the two fazios, George did the original and Tom did, it was one of Tom's first works as the second, uh, just a splendid place. And Tim was one of the old school pros, by the way, Tim passed away a couple of years ago from oh, a heart attack yeah, at, yeah. at a young age. I miss him greatly. He just got in the hall of fame, he got in the hall of fame in the inaugural cra- uh, class of the low country oh, hall wow. of fame, a huge effort, uh, a huge honor for him, uh, 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 and, and he, he got to see it. He died not long after that, but he, uh, he hired good players. I mean, uh, there were, there were world-class players. He always hired the good players. And, uh, when I came along, he plucked me out of, uh, Palmetto Dunes to, to, uh, come to work for him. He was one of the original, um, uh, founders of Secession Golf Club. He and a, a gentleman named Bob Walton, uh, who was an Oakmont member, high golf IQ as well. Um, uh, started secession and um, they were the two uh, general partners. It was a limited partnership. And I took over from Moss Creek as the head pro for a very short period of time. And then um, they asked me to come aboard and help sell it literally five years before it was to open. This wow. was just a concept, wow. a true national club. It was patterned exactly after Pine Valley. Exactly. Ernie Ransom was an early member, and and I, I got to sit at the feet of Mr. Ransom, who I like saying Mr. Nicholas or Mr. Jones or Mr. Palmer. You know, I can't say Ernie. I, he's just too good. And just one of the great men in golf. Um, uh, we got to sit at his feet and, and learn what really makes a great national golf club. Now, when you say that, that, that puts you in a, ver- in, in a, in a very rarefied uh, yeah. piece of air. Sure does. That, there's not many like that. And um, 
and it just showed the high golf IQ of virtually everybody that came along uh, to, to be a part of our effort early on. They signed up five years before there was a golf course just on the concept alone. National club, housing on site, no homes on the golf course, mandatory walking, had to live outside of 100 miles, um, and inexpensive. I'm so proud of the fact that it was inexpensive. Yeah, I, I can't tell you, you know, when I look back over the life of that club in my 30, it was 33 years when I left, I'm still uh, director emeritus now, 35 years. Um, the, I love the fact, at one point we had five NFL team owners, but wow. we'd also had the guy who, who had a two man lawn care company out of Greenville, South Carolina, <laughs> or a plumber. He paid his 30, 40,000, almost all equity, three, four grand a year, just like the, the Arthur Blanks of the world did. Right. right. Well, Mr. Mr. Blank paid his 30 because he just wanted to be there. That's all. Right. And, right. and you know, he, he could join for a million somewhere and maybe do him some good politically or business wise. Not there. He wanted to just be there, but so did the guy, the lawn care guy. And the two met at that bar. How cool. I love that. That's, that's great. The simplicity. You know, and that, and that's what it was all about. It wasn't about, you know, what plane or car or submarine, for crying out loud, you showed up on. Didn't care. I didn't even know. I bet you. I, I sold well over 2,000 memberships in my time there. I eventually more, I handled all the sales for the most part. And um, I bet you I did not know what 75% of the people didn't come up. Wow. Didn't come up. Wow. That's a big deal. It sure could is. It could be a titan on Wall Street. It could be, you know, it could have been, you know, on a, 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 you know, a, it could have been a, a $50 billion business. I, I, I didn't really know. I might know that he had some, I might know he was a doctor, maybe not what he was. I might know he's on wall street. New York was huge, still huge. What a wonderful city. Um, I didn't care. Did, did they have a good time? Well, we'll go have some beers. We'll sit the back porch. Of course we'll take 75 to a hundred years to reach what we set out to do. The back porch is already there. Everybody knows of that back porch. So that was the model. That was the simplicity. And that's what we learned from Mr. Ransom. Wow. And I could tell stories about him all day, but the best is the finest word in the English language is also one of the shortest. No. Right. No. That's an important word when you're no, trying to build a club, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's at the parameters and that sets the parameters for any business happens. That sets in my book, the parameters for a country. No, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're not going to be all things to all people. And I think the great golf clubs of the world, and I've had the great fortune of seeing almost every one of them. I have not been to Cyprus, which kind of out your way. And, yeah. um, there's a few around Paris I'd like to see, more Fontaine, a couple others. I uh, haven't been to Australia. I would like to see that uh, sand belt down there. But I've seen most of them. And 
they know who they are, Larry. They know who they are, and they're not changing. They, they, if you don't, if you want to play music from your golf cart, then just go down the street. No, right. There's the word. <laughs> no, and that's that's a, and that's what we got to do from the earliest days, and we drafted just the highest IQ guys you could possibly find. Especially, I mean, it was just a an island in the middle of the swamp in Beaufort, South Carolina, a stunning little town. It's amazing how fast it's growing around there but uh, at the time we started that it was just kind of a quiet little place between charleston and, and savannah and Hilton and uh off we went and it uh it worked it worked beautifully in a in a in a wonderful simplistic model that um seldom works I always draw the parallels to mexican restaurants or or uh waffle houses okay I mean, they're not serving sushi at a Waffle House. Okay? That's, that's... <laughs> I would hope. I hope. I hope they're not. So, continuing with sort of talking about secession, um, you were there thirty-three years, um, tremendously successful, and and um, you've talked a little bit about the club. Um, you stayed. It sounds like you stayed pretty active in the Carolina PGA section, you know, and, and, you know, notably, you know, nationally, the PGA, I know you won the Bill Strasburg award. You're actually my second winner of that. I had Larry Dornish on from Muirfield village. I know you were yeah. national PGA yeah. merchandiser of the year award. So maybe talk about your intersection while, while you're a secession for those 30 plus years, your, your sort of intersections with the PGA and, and kind of, you know, both, you're playing a little bit in the section or your involvement in the section, that aspect of things. Well, I, I obviously as a player, I played a good bit for probably 10 or 15 years after leaving the tour, won several section events. I think I won close to 20 section events, um, but I didn't win many of the majors because there was a guy here by the name of Bob Boyd, who's probably the finest player I ever saw. Um, he just absolutely dominated uh, our section. So I had a lot of seconds, kind of like Ernie Els and Tiger. Um, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> he, uh, he was just uh, phenomenal. So, uh, I played in a South Carolina Open once where he played a, a pro-am and 54 holes. He hit 72 greens. Oh, my God. That's I always crazy. bring that up when I mention him. Always bring that up wow. in the heart. This was not an easy golf course either. This is a modern day golf course. Uh, so I did play and I continue to play. And, and again, like we spoke of earlier, I think it's the responsibilities of a great playing club pro to play and represent your club. Yeah. Do what you can. Win state open. Play in national PJs. I played in three. Qualif tried to qualify for three and, and did. Qualify for all three. Good for you. And then didn't really play that much. The club got really busy. Um, my wife and daughter have had a, a very difficult run. My wife had a, um, has been uh, almost bedridden for 30 years with fibromyalgia chronic. Oh, pain. I'm sorry and, to hear that. Wow. And that took, you know, that something had to give. And, um, and I, let me tell you, she is stunning in every way. She has been so supportive of everything that I've done. I, I, every time I get an award, she's front and center because she, she just, live the life of a golf professional's wife. I mean, you're cranking out 70, 80 hours a week, year after year after year after year after year, and she just never once 
ask me, well, why do you have to do this or why do you have to do that? And I think in lieu of my playing, I, I began to morph into section affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never ran for office. I just didn't have the time mm-hmm. between my job and home. I just didn't have a time the, to do that. Um, and uh, But I did. I always sat on the board. I was head of the awards committee. Chair. I was chair for 20 years, the Hall of Fame committee for 20 years. And, and Linda would never say, well, why do you have to go to that meeting? You know, how, how valuable is that? How valuable is that in any profession right. to have that type of support? So she's just been marvelous. Um, but I, I think it's the club professional's responsibility to get involved with a section or the national if he can. It is uh, it is a tightrope. You know, you've got to watch being away from a club. Right. We just read an article today by Golf Digest. Well done, Golf Digest, on this on this. Uh, on this difficulty uh, with the, um, uh, the, you know, how difficult our game is. I've said many times, this is a magnificent game. It is a very tough business. And, um, and so time away is a problem, but I was very fortunate to, to, to sit on the Carolinas PGA board for many, many years. And I, I think that's the obligation of a, of a, of a golf professional to do that. The award certainly came. I, I've, won many, many, many section awards and the two national awards and um, uh, was recently inducted uh, a couple of years ago into the Hall of Fame for the Carolinas PGA, which is a, a monumental offer. The National Straws Ball is a huge award. Um, Absolutely. It's huge. Uh, Gigantic. That's a mentoring. Yeah. That's a mentoring. Well, I was going to say, and, and I'm, exactly. So for people who aren't familiar with it, it exactly right. It's a mentoring award. So, I mean, that must reflect, you know, the assistance and other things that you've mentored over the years. I mean, that must have been a big part of for you to win that award. You have to be a plus in doing that. Well, I I take less credit um, uh, and and almost always put it back on the great club. Uh, the, the, the great professionals, the Brendan Walsh's of the world at Brookline. Yeah. The Dornishes, the the Fords, uh, the Gene Mataris at Saucon Valley, those professionals always got the best assistance because of who they were and where they were, and then we were always able to move them on, and to be able to move along fifteen or twenty guys into great jobs is a is a huge. A uh, piece of satisfaction for my career, and I love staying in touch with them. And they often call me, you know, with this problem or that problem. You know, sure. you know, it's difficult. It's a difficult business. But I, I, I learned a lot from sitting at the feet of the masters. You know, you're talking about like Bob Ross earlier. Um, right. um, these these guys were Tim Moss, my mentor, uh, was right. just. A, exquisite at this so um uh and i've i've tried to be that type of person um to help move them along not only in the in the business but as players young players that came along i've got a had a wonderful kid um mark anderson who's been on and off the tour for many yep. many years um, yep. he's gone back and forth he's corn fairy now he was on a couple of years ago just got off brutal and one of the finest players i've ever seen just doesn't hold enough putts you know he, he makes the he makes it look easy on the corn ferry. That's hard to do. He yeah. makes it look easy yeah. out there, but uh, that next level just hasn't come to him yet. But my job as a mentor for I've I've had uh, three state junior champions um, oh, in wow. South Carolina. 
um, the I I my goal was to make sure they understood how good they were. Yeah. How good are you? Do you know how good you are? Yeah. Uh, I, I had a chance. I just got home last night from Biltmore Forest where uh, Coach uh, Roy Williams spoke at, at, from the North Carolina uh, Tar Heels basketball yep. program. Yeah. And uh, legend, freaking legend. And yep. and he said just that. He said my job was to make sure they knew that they were good. And that's yeah. that's a coach. So I so I was able to 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 really satisfy and fulfill a, a dream of seeing one of my guys get to the tour. I told Mark, I'll be there for two days, the day you get your card and the day you tee off at Augusta. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm waiting for that <laughs> one. Still. But, uh, uh, but also to, to um, bring along, you know, so many wonderful professionals. And um, I was very open with my boys. I, they, I own the shop. They saw how much money I made. I involved them each season. We were two distinct seasons at secession, spring and fall. We were close to the summer and mm-hmm. uh, you could see the buy here's, here's all my invoices and here's all my profit at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And they got to see because one day they were going on their own job. And right. that was the mentoring. A lot of pros don't do that. And that's a mistake. They, these boys need to know that, but that said, you know, the, Clubs are taking away the shops altogether. And frankly, when I consult with a young professional who's about to take a job, I tell them not to lose any sleep over that. Because frankly, when you own a shop, the membership always thinks you're making way more money than you are. Always. Yeah. And they will not go. They will not go look, talk to your accountant. I've tried to get them to talk to my accountant, but they won't. Um, that's a difficult situation. So I'd much rather, you know, base the salary off of, uh, X amount of, of proceeds from the shop, um, and then go serve the members. You know, you don't have to worry about getting paid when you're getting a paycheck. I have right. I mean, a hurricane blows through the, the coast. Like it did several times when I was there, I didn't make any money that season. I paid right. bills. I right. was able to pay, but there was no profit left over. Right. Well, they don't right. see that. All they, right. all the members see is, is the, you know, bags and bags and bags of merchandise going out the club. They don't see three hundred thousand net thirty net sixty. <laughs> big gulp, the big gulp. But it's, uh, it sure I, is. It was the 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 the. I'm so proud of the mentorship and uh, and so proud of all my boys and that uh, have gone on just to be wonderful wonderful additions to this magnificent game they are that's that's fantastic i love it you meant i want to go back for a second to the golf digest article which you you mentioned in passing so um and and uh, i know we chatted really briefly about it uh before uh i'm on a prior call but um it it's gotten a fair amount of reaction um it paints a um you know i i think it's fair to say a somewhat negative picture um of of club pro life um not necessarily saying it's inaccurate but it's it's a somewhat negative picture of lots of um uh folks um quoted not by name but uh but but you know unnamed quotes and and what life is like um i know you just had a chance to to sort of briefly look at it earlier today um what was your reaction to that what and as someone who you know, 30 plus years in the business. I mean, you are way more knowledgeable, obviously, about this stuff than I am. I'm just curious what your what your thoughts and reactions were to that piece. 
It's uh, it was intriguing, Larry. I think the uh, twofold. Um, one, I think it's accurate. It's very accurate. Mm-hmm. It's a hard business, as we said earlier. It's a very demanding business. It's a people business. Um, there's a. Whew, I mean, we can go back to Alan Robertson at St. Andrews and mm-hmm. Old Tom. Mm-hmm. There's a. There's always been a disconnect here between the professional as an equally successful businessman in the community and being really treated like a member of the health. And it is, um, it's just like what Rossi told me, Bobby Ross said, uh, don't drive a nice car. Why? Well, because they'll always think you're making more than you should. <laughs> and I don't know too many jobs that aren't rewarded for a job well done. Right. It's odd. It's very odd. Uh, however, and, and, and look, anybody who may, if there's a young professional thinking about getting into the business or a young amateur thinking about getting into the business and they're listening to this, just know you're going to spend 60 to 80 hours a week. Yeah. Part of the business. It's just part of the business. And if you don't want that, and this article touched on that, that the the new professional is more concerned about his mental health, and there's a lot of touchy-feely stuff in there that uh, I I see in some of the modern employees, and have heard from several of the great golf club club professionals over the last week or two uh, prior. I didn't even know this article was out until a few days ago. I think it's been around a bit. you know, they said they're having to hire more staffing to keep these guys under, you know, 50 hours a week or something right. like that. Right. Well, then the club needs to pay attention to that. Okay. If they're, if they're paying them $30,000 and they can't afford to live in, in, in the communities where generally the great clubs are, are not cheap, right. uh, then they need to fix that. So it's, it's, it is a twofold problem, but also the thing that kept coming up, there was a, there was a wonderful uh, quote in there by a kid who, who decided to get into the business because he saw the movie Happy Gilmore. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> all right. That's not the guy that needs to be in the business. All right. right period. Right, all right. Go, go right. surf somewhere or, you know, do, do something else because I, I want the golf professional to be in love with the game. Absolutely. And if you're in love with the game, then you're going to, you're not going to mind spending 60, 70 hours and pay your dues and then lock onto a great job, hopefully down the road that, that provides income for your family. And you better have a great wife who understands that you're not going to be there much. You're not going to be there on weekends. Somebody came into my office wanting weekends off, you know, he's applying for one of my jobs and he wants weekends off. That's a, that's a real short conversation right there. That's over with. That's right. I mean, that's, that's a guy that doesn't get it. I, I, I've always said that the great professionals, and, and, and many of them were great players as well, they cared as much about my kid getting, uh, my young man Anderson getting his tour card, as I cared as much about Mrs. Jones breaking 100 for the first mm-hmm. time as mm-hmm. I did about my junior winning the state junior or uh, Anderson getting his tour card that's the mark of a great golf professional and right. and what comes with it is um uh some time spent in the uh in the 
eyesight and the earsight of great golf professionals, the Claude Harmons of the world who just turned out just dozens and dozens of world-class professionals. And you can just list them. Uh, they, they go long and deep. And I just think that uh, this article was exquisite and well done golf digest. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, it, it is a difficult, difficult job. And there are things that need to be fixed. There's no question about it. But that golf professional, he's, he's, sacking, he's racking up to 70 hours a week. And that's not counting dinners. You know, if you're right. at a local club, it's not as much. Where I have a national club, I only get to see my members uh, 20 days a year, 30 days a year. Uh, when they come to town, it's time to, to go out to dinner as well. And, right. uh, Lord, it, it is uh, an amazing amount of time. But that great professional understands that. So so well done uh, to the um, to Golf Digest. Uh, there were several quotes. I think Mr. Waugh, Seth Waugh, is a, a terrific individual. Yeah, from the PGA, right. Yeah. Yes, uh, president of the PGA, um, or CEO, I'm sorry. CEO, um, right, CEO, yeah. Uh, he um, is a high golf IQ guy. Um, For sure. I would like to see that. I think one of the things that the PGA can do is set up a pension plan. Yeah. You know, you, you, you just hear about this inurement. I've heard that word inurement for 30 years. Well, the, the it's a 501c3. I mean, you're a lawyer. I mean, if you want your draft to be pink instead of green, you generally can get that done in the yeah. legal world somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, find the the PGA tours a, a 501c3. They've got the finest pension plan on earth, as yeah. far as I can tell. Um, let's get. Uh, the, I'll, I I could I I would love to get a thousand dollars a month from having spent 30, 40 years in the business uh, and just chuckle every time I got into a really nice car, because that'd be my car payment uh, (laughs) in retirement. (laughs) It just seemed like that could have been done. I remember bringing up issues on healthcare. Yeah. I don't know why the PGA is not in, even if it's, if you're bound by state lines, uh, think of all the golf clubs in South Carolina. Um, you could put a pretty good package if you had a head pro. Everybody gets to be a part of it, whether they're a pro or not. Got to be ways to get that done and get them a little better compensated. I I live at Beach Mountain now, a glorious place. It's a, it's a, a summer. It's golf in the summer and ski in the winter. Um, one of the things they're doing, they just bought a hotel because they can house people there. Well, that's thinking ahead. Right. You know, a club who, who has the need of 15 or 20 employees or even just a house with three bedrooms that you could put your golf professionals in and not charge them anything for rent. Now that kid's making money. You need to be doing things. And I think this article is going to have some long reaching uh, impact. I, I certainly hope so. I'm, I'm, I get to wash my hands of most of it now. That's the beauty of retirement. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I fought my wars there, but I'm very, I was, it, it does paint a bit of a dark picture. You're right, Larry. And it, and it says that. And, uh, there is little in that article that's wrong, but it is two sided. Yeah. It's a, a millennial mindset to some degree that he feels like he needs to have. Uh, weekends and family there's nothing wrong with that but believe me you're in the wrong business uh, yeah. if if that's what you expect but also 
it lies at the feet of the clubs to make sure that, uh, you know, it may require another assistant or two in yep. order to hold that down from 70 to 50 hours or something like that. Right. Uh, it was sad. One of them, one of the kids said uh, he just didn't have an urge or the energy to go play anymore. Uh, yeah, sad. that was sad. That was super golf. sad. Yeah. 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 So uh, I thought it was terrific. I really did. Um, you know, that's interesting. It is interesting. And it does raise an awful lot of issues that hopefully will get addressed. You know, one other um, aspect, you, you touched on it really briefly a few minutes ago uh, when you were mentioning, you know, because uh, Secession's a national club, you know, you're only seeing the members, um, you know, maybe 20, 30, uh, 20 days a year, whatever. Um, I I know that you've done and, and want to start ta- talk a little bit about the international travels you've done, I think, you know, some of them were competitions. Some of you mentioned those earlier, some were with members. Um, right. And you've been to the UK like a lot, right? Like something over, if I'm remembering right, something like over 80 times. I have two trips next year, and I think one of those will be 90 trips. Oh, my gosh. So you got to talk UK. to me. I mean, I know people take trips. I know when you and I first connected a month or so ago, you were you were going off to Scotland. And um, but I had no idea that it was that much over the years. And and you really know the clubs well over there and stuff. But talk a little bit about yeah. how how that came about, um, that you were able to that you traveled so frequently there and, and the trips and kind of what that experience has been like for you. Well, I was I went over for the European Tour School, I think in 84, and um, spent some time in London with some friends and got to see those those marvelous clubs like um, St. George's Hills, mm-hmm. uh, Swinley, um, Sunningdale, dear Lord. I mean, and there was a there was a commonality amongst them all, and it was simplistic. Mm-hmm. And that's what we ended up selling at Secession, that simplistic mm-hmm. golf model. You know, there's six or seven things you can have to eat, you know, counting a wonderful bowl of soup and a pint of Guinness or something, you know, there, that's, that's, it, it, it wasn't seven pages of food, of you know, you just sensed it immediately. Then I started going back in the late eighties with, um, I began to travel with my members who were high golf IQ guys who wanted to do that. I, mm-hmm. I think my membership encouraged me to do that more than, than I encouraged them. And, mm-hmm. uh, but then soon it took off to the point where I was taking two or three trips a year. Now I did have the opportunity as opposed to say the Northern boys to do two or three trips a year because we were closed in the summer. That's right. a big deal. So yeah. That, that's, you know, that, that helped uh, obviously my number because most can't get away with that um in season um and it as i said earlier as a history guy um i just became infatuated uh with i bet yeah the the countries uh you know from 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 wales to to northern ireland to the boot of england uh out to to saunton and saint enadoc and uh um, uh, Burnham and Barrow. These, these are these are marvelous places that aren't on the open rotations. Okay, they these are these are special places, right. and I just became infatuated with them. And the more I went, the more people wanted to go with the old pro. You know, just just and it just and 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 even now I'm doing still two a year 
I have to, I have to, I have to hold it to that. Uh, but this is, I teach a good bit to the PGA, um, and, or, 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 you know, in, in, in clubs and, and such. And I talked to the club pros about that. There is, there is something about traveling with a member yeah. versus just serving the member. The, the day you take a trip to Scotland or Ireland with your members, uh, that relationship deepens immensely. Yeah. And it, and, and it stays that way forever. And that, so I encourage professionals constantly to do this. Even if you don't go overseas, go play in a pro-am. Go, go drive two or three hours to, to a place. Stay the night. Play practice round that day and play a one-day pro-am the next day and drive back. Have dinner with them that night. Um, it deepens the relationship incredibly. And uh, um, so I, I've, I've taught that all along. I certainly lived it. Mm-hmm. Um, I may, I may end it at a hundred, you know, I may, I may just die <laughs> get a round number yeah. <laughs> get yeah, a round, round number and be done with it. I, I, I absolutely adore St. Andrews. I was good. So Very I was good. actually going to ask you, you know, cause you played almost all those courses, mm-hmm. what your favorite is. Is that your favorite over there? Well, that's hard. To, that's, that's hard. Um, I, I put, um, I put St. Andrews and Augusta in another category uh, altogether. Uh, when you get a chance to play those, uh, it's it's just the finest golfing experience you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, my my, I, I'm a member of the St. Andrews Club. I'm a mm-hmm. member of the new club in St. Andrews. I think I've been a member of the St. Andrews Club for over 20 years now, and mm. uh, I, I don't get there much as an international member. It it cost a whopping $300 or something a year. I'll, I'll go to my <laughs> grave as a member of that club, I can tell you. And what an honor it was. And, and, and frankly, you know, I can't get in some of these clubs. The one club I would join in the entire world, world is Presswick. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about it doesn't get any better than Presswick, period. Yeah. But there's that old hang again. Professionals aren't allowed as members. Is, and, that, still, uh, is that still the case? Still a case. I tried, Larry. I really tried. I got a lot of dear friends there. And I, I wanted to break that ceiling. You can't get in the RNA. You can't get in Royal St. George's. Um, you can't. Um, they're just not going to let you in. You know, Palmer, Nicholas, they're all honorary members of the RNA. Can't get in there. Uh, wow. I had me, not appreciated uh, that was still the case. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't. Um, I, I, but but see, I'm a respecter of history too, and yeah. I would hope that someone down the road breaks that ceiling. It's too late for me now, you know. As I'm winding down my time there, I would love to have been a member 20, 30 years ago and just showcased Presswick. I just love the golf there. But Americans don't get it. They they go there and think it's some cow pasture or something. I they just don't get it. There's nothing better than a than a foursome's day at Presswick. Two, we'll play in two hours, right. and then drink so for four hours. We'll have lunch, and uh, it's the only place they eat haggis. Although I did have some some haggis balls. This 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 was interesting. It was uh, on this last trip, just kind of fried haggis balls. They were, oh, they were pretty good. That's the, the only place I'll eat real haggis is that breast. And then you uh, you know you, you you plow through a couple of bottles of red wine, and you go back out and play in two hours again, and, and yes. walk it off before the boys get home. Um, that's what the game of golf is all about to me. Uh, my, I think the best 
in uh, Scotland is uh, a toss-up. Um, Muirfield, Dornick, and Turnberry. Okay. Uh, as far as just pure on. Uh, Portrush and uh, Royal County down are exquisite. Um, no question about it. Um, St. George's, I love um, a deal. Um, uh, uh-huh. uh, Sinkports, you know, it's just a special place. And see, having taken so many trips, I've not only seen those places once, I've seen them 20 times, probably. And on that, Amazing. really where you get to enjoy that. I told a story the other day, somebody asked me, why do you like the old course so much? I said, well, I you give any, not just me, you give any good player five rounds over, you know, a, 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 a modern golf course, call it, call it a Fazio or a Nicholas or something. You give me five rounds, I'm going to know 85% of it. I'm going to know 85%. I'm going to know where not to hit it, how to handle the holes. Five rounds. Right, right. I play the old course at least 30 to 40 times. And I don't think I know 50% of it. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of it. I agree. It is. And above everything else, if for anybody that hadn't been over there, it's the turf. It is oh, the turf. Totally. the finest golfing turf in the world. And Secession is very much a Lynx style. It's not Lynx land. That's a, that's a mistake. Anybody says it's a Lynx course, that generally don't know what the heck they're talking about. Or right. I'll hear an announcer say he hit it in the header. That's an imbecilic statement he is <laughs> something other than heather okay yeah it's yeah not a, it's not a, not a wide-ranging term it's actually a plan um the uh, I, I just think that the um you you get around a golf course that unique that special there's history there's tradition there's tournament history um i mean they're burning people at the stake 500 years ago there just up the hill Right. And <laughs> and there's this golf course that no one can understand. But it that you know, it's the turf. It's the consistency of the turf. And and a lot of courses in the States, you see it occasionally in the north. A Chicago golf club is one of the great clubs in this country. You play there in September, late August or September, that turf gets like that. Uh, Oakmont will get that way, Marion will get that way, but only certain times, not early in the year, later in the year when they can let it go and it cools down and it gets really tight. Um, that's quality turf. But over there, I mean, it happens, the grass doesn't grow, what, an eighth of an inch above the dirt. Right. You know, there's no thatch. There's no anything. It's right. as consistent as the, 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 the parking lot I'm sitting at. Okay, it's, it is that <laughs> consistent, and that's what makes it so special. And those guys, I, I played with so many of those old, of the old boys that are rock solid three handicappers around St. Andrews. They've got that shot, and it's usually a seven iron, and they can use that seven iron from thirty yards or a hundred and thirty yards. Yeah, and it's beautiful to watch. It's just like putting. You know, they just putt from a hundred yards with that little seven iron. Uh, but it's it's everything over there. I just uh, I have another life there. I have another life. I've had another life over there, and, and so many wonderful the professionals. I just did an interview. I I, I do a website, theoldprostable.com. I do interviews. I just sit down, and crack open a bottle of wine, and sit down with guys. And yeah, that's great. Un, unedited, unedited, just laugh, <laughs> tell stories. I did Colin Sinclair, one of the finest uh, professionals I've seen. 
in 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 the in the British Empire. He's uh, just took over. He was he ran Carnoustie for fifteen twenty years, and then went to Nairn, which is mm-hmm. a wonderful club, which is mm-hmm. he's the CEO of, and uh, just got hired as secretary of mm. Royal St George's. Oh and wow, that's one of the biggest jobs in the country. They, they run open. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, and so we just sit down and chat, and uh, they the, these uh, these are dear dear friends. David F- uh, Fleming at at um, Prestwick, Frank Rennie, the legend, forty four years at uh, Prestwick, um, played in twenty British Opens. I think he made a cut in half of them. Wow! Uh, just uh, I mean these are these are the benchmarks. And any young professional watching these things today, search those people out. Absolutely. Search They're great that. sources of of, of of knowledge, of inspiration. Of, absolutely. How about Eddie Marin in your neck of the woods? Oh, the huh? little pro. The little Is pro. Is there anybody better than that? No, the little I pro hear, of Bel Air. You know, he's 91 now or something yep. like that. I mean, just an he, he goes beyond a, 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 a mesmerizing professional. He's an ambassador. For the totally. Game. Totally is. And that. And the great players have been that 40s, been that Gene Matari's been that. Uh, I've had a, a, a chance to do that, perhaps as much overseas as in this country. Um, uh, that's what you strive for in this game. It's not about to make a living for crying out loud or to work 40 hours a week. Good God. <laughs> Absolutely. Start your own business, you know? Start yeah. your own business if that's what you want to do. But don't, don't, don't muddy the waters you know taking a job from somebody in the golf business who really is a golf professional no i i uh, agree and i i mean like a lot of things in life you know mike i think passion is important i mean you've got to have a passion for it you've got to have a love for the game and a passion and if you if you don't you know no matter how many hours it is you're not going to be happy but uh if you have the passion for this special game um there's nothing like it Exactly right. And I, the great ones, I never saw that lack of passion, ever. Never. Not even to play the game. You know, you, you got to love the old pro. He's, he's 80 years old or something. And, you know, a Marins or, or, or somebody like that and uh, a Bobby Ross, and he's pissed off because he, he can't do what he used to do. It's still burning there. You know, that's uh, – and, and that same passion to extrapolate into going out and – Standing on a on a on a tee box for four hours on a Saturday to teach a hundred kids. Yeah, um, that's what it is. It's the finest game in the world, Larry. You know that. I totally. It's the finest game in the world, and it's also the hardest. And you can say whatever you want to anybody. You know that the beautiful game is is the soccer, football. I a huge um, English soccer follower. Arsenal. Your Premier Arsenal League. Fan. Oh, you're an Arsenal. Yeah, so am I. It's funny. My, my my uh my son adores the Arsenal. Um, and yeah. um, we went to uh, Emirates, if it's still called Emirates Stadium, was about ten years ago to, when we were in London yeah. to go see a game. It and it's um, I I will never forget. I, I'll not not to go down too much of a detour, but I just you mentioned the Arsenal. I will never forget. We took the tube up there, and you know everyone is dressed in the colors and. You know, when we got out there, because yep. I'd never been to Emirates Stadium before, you didn't have to ask, you know, well, where do we go from the station? If you're like a cork in a river with a current, 
We just got carried along <laughs> with the people. Uh, right flowed right into the stadium. Um, and well, it's a tremendous can't, experience. Americans can't, even, Americans can't even begin to understand the passion of that sport. I mean, those, For those, sure. Those, they've been playing since the 1850s. They were playing before the Civil War, these, these matches. Well, I went I, to a I, game at Park, yeah. and uh, I had a friend take me. He was a Rangers fan. I, I actually, I was in town for one day. I said, "Is there a football game going on in Glasgow?" He said, "Yeah, the, the Celtics playing Aberdeen at at home." And I said, "Man, let's go, let's go." I didn't know what I was asking him. Okay, we get there because he's a Rangers guy, and uh, we're sitting there. And about halfway through the first period, he he looks over at me. We're not wearing any. We're wearing gray. He told me to wear gray. No mm-hmm. colors. Mm-hmm. We're great. And uh, he he said, pro, about 30 minutes into the first half, he goes, pro, the, um, he says, the there's a, a lawyer. He was a lawyer. There's a lawyer that I know that's about two rows up and maybe 15 seats down, and he may have seen me. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, we may not get a beating, but we may be asked to leave. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, a beating he said but you're an american you're we're probably okay now there's <laughs> there's the passion right there well, <laughs> I mean, t- he's a rangers yeah. guy who found out to be hung and to be quartered in the parking lot it's so funny mike that you mentioned that because one of the eye openers for me when we got tickets and this trip has got to be God, I'm thinking my my oldest son is 31 it may be 15 years ago now but but when we went um when we got the tickets, you know, like a month or two ahead of time, uh, they said, well, which team are you rooting for? Because, you know, and you're kind of alluding to this, they segregate the crowd. And if you're, you know, rooting for the visitors team, you have to be in this narrow certain part of the stadium because they don't want to oh, mix yeah. the two routes. And I mean, I, I had oh, yeah. never heard of that in the States. I mean, you know, yes, yeah, certainly you know, typically you'll be behind the bench for your, you know, favorite American football team or your college team, but you don't literally go to the extreme of saying, Hey, you're not allowed to sit in this section (laughs) unless you're rooting for this team. But that just reflects the passions, right? There it is. And there's that word again. All right. There it is. But I brought that up because that is the beautiful game. Absolutely. It is the beautiful game. But it's not the hardest game in the world. No, you and I have been addicted to the hardest game of the we, world. We, and, we, and, yeah, absolutely. And we'll play it till our dying day. I'll leave you a great story. Yes. Ernie Ransom again. He uh, calls me uh, out of the blue, and he says um, he'd like to play um, next week. And I said, "Okay, I can do that. Um, anything for you." And um, he said, said um, we set the date, and he said, just the two of us. Mm. Now, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that at the time. What I later found out is it's, it's his last round at Secession. Oh. It's going to be his last round. Wow. And he was he had struggled with his health a bit and uh, was not um, – um, he was okay. And uh, he, he, you know, I meet him on the padding green, unaware of this at the time. And um, we chat and uh, he said, bro, you play where you want to. I'll play where I want to. <laughs> and 
So we, 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 uh, I, I tee off and, uh, the first, I don't know if you've been to succession, but the first no, not, is a, no. a play, a very difficult play over wetlands, um, to, uh, a, a bit of a threat of a fairway, but, uh, it has the little causeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an old rights field and uh, these were, these dikes were, were there and we were able to build over these dikes to actually access that piece of property. And so, um, the first, the, 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 the tee box forward is just, still a pretty good carry not easy so we uh, we walk down we're chatting we we walk up to that forward tee box and we just he just keeps walking and he walks he walks halfway down that causeway mm. and tees it up right there and i didn't say much because that's a that's a tough carry for for everyone to some degree it's a it's an ominous opening well we play the second, a par three from the normal tees. And the third hole is a long par four. And I tee off, and we walk 150 yards into the middle of that fairway, and he mm. tees it up there. And I said, Ernie, what are you doing? He said, well, at 83, I can't hit it very far. He hit every shot that day, by the way, Larry, in the screws. Every <laughs> shot was in the screws. He said, but I just can't hit it very far. So what I do is I go as far forward as I can in order to get the club that the designer had in mind for entry into that green club. There you go. Yeah. Now that's high golf IQ. A hundred percent. When the time comes that you and I can't hit it that far, then, then we'll go play forward. And if we can't hit it any further than that, we'll just play from 150 yards in until they roll us into the ground i I, I i totally agree i love that story and i i i totally totally agree that's the right way to play the game so good for him <laughs> and, and i love it mike this has been fabulous i really appreciate the time and it's been so much fun and i know you may not come out to the west coast very often but please if you if you're out here in southern california you have my contact information would love to tee it up with you uh, that would be my honor. And if I do get there, I guarantee you, I will call you. Larry, the yeah. golf guy. I there you him. go. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks so much. We'll talk again yeah. soon. Yeah, absolutely. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye now.